During the season of Lent, we are looking at the Gospel of Luke. And here in the Gospel of Luke, we have many accounts of Jesus feeding. Now, we've looked at that metaphor in, a different, in different ways. Sometimes literally feeding, which we will see here today, but also being fed by the Word of God. At other times and in other ways and in other places, we'll look at what it means to have a seat at the table, meaning that you're a part of what God is doing and what does that mean for our lives. As we look at the table this morning, many of you, you brought your Bibles. We are going to go through this section of Scripture in Luke chapter 9, verses 10 and following. So if you've got your Bibles, your iPad, your phone, you might want to open the Scriptures. They'll be on the screen here in just a second. The feeding of the 5,000. You've probably heard it. You probably know a lot of the details. It is the only miracle in Scripture that Jesus performed that all four Gospels write about. It has great significance. First and foremost, it ends one of the three major sections of Scripture in, in Luke about the story, ministry, and life of Jesus. It ends his Galilean ministry. Jesus first taught in the outreaches of Galilee. There he became known for being someone that would teach, that would heal, and someone who would feed. A little bit later through the Gospel of Luke, we will have the Lord's Supper, which ends Jesus' Jerusalem ministry. Finally, in the end of Luke, we will have the end of the third part of Jesus' ministry, which is post-resurrection, when the disciples on the road to Emmaus are amazed how Jesus teaches and he opens the scriptures. And then... When he broke bread with them, they realize it was him. This is what Luke is doing, and he is very intentional about seeing Jesus finish these sections of ministry well. In context, Jesus has sent out the 12 disciples. He has given them the Spirit. He has empowered them to teach, to heal, and to eat with people. To feed. This is what prophets do. This is a huge statement that Jesus is making. You see, when he says, I've come to teach you the word, to heal the sick, and to feed or eat with you, what he's saying is, is do you remember? Do you remember Moses, whom you all revere? How he led God's people out of slavery, into the wilderness. And when the people complained, we don't have enough food, God poured out manna, bread, and quail each and every day. And man, the people looked at Moses and said, oh, this guy provides. And he taught God's word, bringing them the Ten Commandments. And when the people were bitten by snakes, Moses was there to provide a healing. This is what prophets do. This is who prophets are. Jesus is here in this section of Luke saying, I'm a prophet. 
Just last week, right, the Pharisee invited Jesus over thinking he might be a prophet and scoffed because Jesus allowed where healing takes place and where people are fed. That's what the kingdom of God is. And it's not by our own hands and our own feet. But if you're not in the word of God each and every day, you can't be taught by God. You say, well, I don't know enough. All right, then partner with somebody. This is why we offer you life groups. Get in with another group of people then. Set aside some time. Try to carve it out and find it. Spend time in the word. Otherwise, you're being taught by the ways of this world. You're being taught by the other moms and dads who say, well, this is how you should raise your children as opposed to what scripture says. This is how to be a good worker. According to who? Business. Why aren't we looking at what it means to be a good worker in scripture? What does it mean to be a good spouse? Well, I don't know. Let me read the latest books and see what the latest craze is. No, why don't we look at Scripture? Why don't we find our life and our norm and our teaching here? That's what it means to be taught. That's what it means to learn by the Word of God. To be here and here alone. Not in our own head, not doing our own thing, not even doing what our neighbors are doing, but to be here in the Word of God. You see, it's here that we are at the table. When we're seated at the table, Jesus goes, I've got something for you. I want to feed you. And behold, the kingdom of God is near. Later, Jesus will teach the Lord's Prayer. He will say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. What does that mean? Why would Jesus teach us to pray to God, thy kingdom come? Because he knows that we have a propensity, right? We, we normally will say, I'll make my own kingdom, thank you. I'll make my own bed. I'll make my own life the way I like it, the way it's comfortable for me, and I'll live it that way. But no, Jesus says, pray, thy kingdom, meaning God, your kingdom come. Meaning, I want to live my life the way you want me to live my life. I want my path to walk down a path that you would have for me. Thy kingdom come. Scholars have written that partly what Jesus is saying is, is that certainly God's kingdom has come. I mean, it is here, it is present. Wherever the word is taught, wherever healing happens, and wherever... We are fed. That the kingdom of God certainly lives and exists there. But does it live and exist, first of all, here for you? So when we pray thy kingdom come, what we're really saying is, is God, my natural inclination, my nature, is to be my own God and run my own kingdom. There's an old picture of a throne inside of a heart. Maybe you learned this early on in your theological education, but that, that heart with a throne on it either has a cross sitting on the throne or it has the words Y-O-U, you. And it's this understanding that for most of us, we try to sit on the throne of our heart. It's our kingdom. 
I determine the rules. I say who comes in and who goes in. I decide who to forgive till they've groveled enough I'm not forgiven. I decide who to bless. Well, if there's something in it for me, if somebody will recognize me and, and tell me what a great person I am because I, I fed the poor, okay, then I'll do it. It's my kingdom. So what does it mean that the kingdom of God has come? It means that the table has been set. And it's God's table, and he's the one that set it. Now, you're invited, but make no bones about it. It's God's table. The kingdom of God is here. Does your house reflect that the kingdom of God is here? Does your heart reflect that the kingdom of God is here? Does your life and does your schedule reflect that the kingdom of God is here? Is the way that you parent reflective of the fact that the kingdom of God is here? Do you treat your spouse in such a way that everyone would know the kingdom of God is here? If it doesn't, let me invite you to let it happen. Let me invite you to say, quit being on the throne of your own life, your own fiefdom, your own kingdom. Get off the throne and let Jesus be there. It's his natural place. It's where he really wants to be. So Jesus comes to teach and he heals. Now here in this context, this healing probably literally was physical ailments. How does Jesus bring healing to us today? Well, first of all, he does it in baptism. Do you understand who you are prior to baptism? The scripture says very clearly, you're a wretched sinner. You're an old Adam. You are the king sitting on the throne of your heart. And once baptism comes, you know what you're healed from? You're, you're healed from being known by nature that you're a sinner. Oh, I still sin. I still struggle with my sins. But God looks at you through Jesus and goes, oh, it's my son. It's my daughter. You who were once far away, you who were in darkness, you who were away from home, I've brought all my children home. Healed. Do you understand that's the power of forgiveness? that it heals broken hearts, that it reestablishes relationships, that what, that what forgiveness does is it allows you to start over. Let me say that again. It allows you to start over. How many of you, if right now I asked you to turn and look at your spouse, don't do it yet, because you know there's something between you Something sinful, something not so good. How, how many of you are a little bit in doubt that if you turn to your spouse right now, that you'd be forgiven? Now, don't raise your hand. See, none of you are going to raise your hands on that one. 
So I rose it for you. Because I want you to understand something. This is the power we hold over each other when we don't forgive. And it's not good. And it means that you're trying to be king on the throne. And it's not yours to be. Jesus is there and Jesus goes for forgiveness and Jesus is asking you to forgive and to not hold that power. That's healing. That's healing. Broken hearts, fearful hearts, distraught hearts, people that are oppressed by their past. Forgiveness heals incredibly. Forgiveness is powerful. That's what it means that the kingdom of God has come. So God's word informs, it enlightens. God's grace or his forgiveness heals and he feeds. He feeds. Right here, we, we get into the majority part. I know you were going, I thought this was a sermon on the feeding of the 5,000. We haven't even mentioned fish yet. We're getting there. Verse 12, late in the afternoon, the 12 came to him and said, send the crowd away so that they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging. Again, because we have this right at the top of this section of the Bible, we go, it's the feeding of the 5,000. Do you understand that Jesus was actually sending them to go spend the night lodging? Now, I don't know about you, this is 5,000 men. Scholars usually say, they usually go about two and a half times the number of men spoken of to encompass entire families that were probably present. Two and a half times. That's a lot of people. It's a lot of bunks or a lot of sleeping bags or a lot of garages or it's a lot of, I don't know where Jesus thought these people were going to stay. But the thing I love about the miracles that Jesus goes, send them away so they can go find lodging. As in, I know there's a bed for them somewhere, just tell them to go get it. I love that. Because even for Jesus providing lodging, it's just no big deal. Because he feeds. That's what it means. He takes care of us. I mean, how many times have we said, man, I wish I had the bigger room in the house. I wish I didn't have to share my room with my sister. Parents, right? Well, we have a starter home, then we want to move to you know, kind of a bigger home, and then we want to have our retirement home. I mean, it's like, really? Do we not have enough? And do you know Jesus provides? You know Jesus takes care of us? When he feeds, he goes, I've got a house for you. I've got a roof. I'm going to take care of you. Absolutely going to take care of you. But we wig out. We freak out. It's like, oh my gosh, I might not have uh, the best place or I might not have my ideal place. God goes, wait a minute. Am I not going to take care of you? And food. How about food? How, how many, we worry about food and whether we're going to have enough. Uh, my friend, uh, calls last week. He's from Gainesville, Florida. He's freaking out. He says, man, people are making a run to the grocery store. I said, Matt, what's the deal? He goes, it's supposed to get to 27 tonight. 
I was like, yeah. He's like, it could set records. I'm like, that's not even close. He's like, people are, the pipes are gonna burst. I mean, just spontaneously, it's under, they just don't know what's going on. Really? God's not gonna provide? He feeds. He feeds us food. He, he, he takes care of our house. He gives us the things that we need. He feeds. Verse 13, he replied, you give them something to eat. They answered, we've only got five loaves of bread and two fish, and unless we go and buy food, we're not gonna have enough. But he said to the disciples, have them sit in groups of 50 each. The disciples did so, and everybody sat down. And then I want you to understand that Jesus does <laughs> an incredible thing. He follows the Jewish custom for meals. And you go, uh, yeah, so? Do you remember what he's doing? He's establishing the groundwork. He's already said, I've taught you, I've healed, and now I'm gonna feed you. And I'm gonna do it in a way that you're gonna recognize. You're gonna immediately go back in their brains, right, first century to Old Testament times and go, wait a minute, at meals, and we were taught this for generation upon generation upon generation, that you first take what is given. Taking the bread, the five loaves and the two fish, he Looks. So first you take the food and second you look to heaven because what you're saying with your body position is that this that we've been given is from here. And after he looks, he gives thanks. So he doesn't just look and acknowledge God. He then verbally says, thank you, Jesus. No, he doesn't. He says, thank you, God. I've seen if you're listening. He says, thank you, God. And then he breaks it. He's portioning it out. He said, this, trust me, is enough for you. And then he gives it. And that five-step process is what every Jewish family does for every meal. Every time. Because they're acknowledging, this is not from our hands, right? Right? We pray, you know, come Lord Jesus, be our guest, you know. Or we'll pray, uh, Lord, bless thy hands with the bounty of which you have given to us, right? Others of us say, bless the cook or else she won't cook again. You know, I mean, it's whatever. I told this story before. A friend of ours uh, was taking, uh, was a flight instructor, right? And so um, the student in which he was uh, flying with let go of the controls, and for a little while, it was okay, but the plane eventually began to kind of start to make a dive a little bit, and the instructor was going, look, I'm not gonna rescue the plane. You need to get your hands back in the control, take care of the plane. You, the, you're the student, fly the plane. He was like, I, I can't do it, I can't do it. It starts freaking out. A little gust of wind comes up, and all of a sudden, the plane is kind of out of control, okay? And so our friend immediately goes, Pastor, I, I was in a moment of panic, and I knew to pray and trust God. And so I prayed the prayer that immediately came to my mind. Come, Lord Jesus, be our guest, and let these gifts <laughs> to us be blessed. Amen. <laughs> He said, I was hoping for maybe the Lord's Prayer, but that's the one that came. 
I said, no. You actually prayed a great prayer. Come, Lord Jesus. Be here. Be here. That's what it means to be at the table, is that you're seated with Jesus. And so Jesus, it says in Greek, he just continued to keep pouring out. He takes the, the fish and the bread and he hands it out to the 12 disciples. The 12 disciples go to the groups of 50 that are on the grass and they eat till they're full. It's very clear. It's one of the only few places in all of scripture we get this Greek word, which means to their fullest content. And then scripture says is that the disciples gathered up 12 basketfuls of leftovers. Now the early church, the first century church, heard this story. Some of them had remembered maybe seeing it. Others, the story had been passed along. They were starting to read the scriptures as they had been written. And they began to make a couple of associations. One, notice that when Jesus came, he was here only for a little while. And, and he gave more than what we need. And that the 12 disciples who were left behind each had enough to keep feeding the people. The next group. And so the first century church used this as an evangelism text to remind us that Jesus has come and sacrificed everything for us, given us way more than we need, way more grace than we could ever use up. But has handed that to the disciples to then take it to the rest of the world that needs the grace the feeding, the healing, and the teaching. Second thing that the early church did was they began to use this symbol. You've probably seen it before. For those of you that don't read Greek, let me speak it for you. It says ichthus. Ichthus. It means fish. You say, I don't, I don't get the theological significance of ichthus. You see, the first century church saw that Jesus taking the fish, flesh, after the resurrection, they began to think back to the feeding of the 5,000 and realize that Jesus had given of his flesh from the fish. And they begin to marvel at how, what a great thought that was to remind them of the sacrifice that, that Jesus had given of himself from his own flesh. And so they began to make an, uh, uh, an anagram out of this. This next slide shows you what ichthus, they began to remind themselves. Okay, so on the far left-hand side of the screen, you see I-C-H-T-H-U-N-S. That's ichthus if you read from top to bottom. The I stood for Jesus, or Jesus. The CH for Christos, or Christ. The TH, Theu, of God. The U, Huios, is Son. And the S, Soter, Savior. And so they began to use the word ichthus, as a way to remember great attributes of who Jesus, that Jesus was the Christ of God, his son, and ultimately our savior. And so the picture of the fish began to be something that said, this is what we believe. 
I'm told today that in modern day Turkey, you can still go to some of the uh, first century towns and in the streets, you'll see carved in fish and merchants that were Christians would put their booth and mark it out in front so that as Christians walk by, they'd know to go to a Christian merchant and help support the cause. Let's wrap this up. What does it mean that Jesus, as prophet, son of God, the Christ, the savior of the world, invites us to a table and says, here, here you will learn. Here I will heal. And here you will be fed. Well, for today, it reminds us of the the table of the sacrament. We're here, we know that those who are sinners who come to the table repentant receive God's healing and they're fed. Their faith is strengthened and nourished. Here, we receive the blessing at the table. The takeaway for you is this. As Jesus Christ has come to set the table to be Lord over your own heart and not and, and the kingdom in which you find yourself in, it's not your kingdom. With whom are you sharing the kingdom? It's as simple as that. I just want to know. I just want you to ask yourselves and I want you to make moves towards sharing the kingdom with those that need it. How many of you right now today know there needs to be somebody at the table? Just raise your hand. Who's not yet a believer? Well, here you go. You're being sent. Go bring them to the table. Your table, our table, somebody's table. For God's honor, for God's glory, so that we can be fed, healed, and taught. Amen. And now may this word of the Lord truly strengthen your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus until his return to take us home. Amen.